Amen. Isn't that good? Hey, good morning, everyone. That's what I love about being in Christ. He changes everything. He transforms everything. And this is what I want to do over the next couple of weeks. I want to dig into um, our identity and who we are. I believe we're in a crisis in America today, and I believe the crisis is, is not necessarily the things that we necessarily see, whether it's a financial crisis or debt crisis or uh, education crisis. I really believe that the root of all that is an identity crisis. We do not know who we are. And Jesus came to change that identity crisis. And so what I want to do over the next couple of weeks is I'm going to jump into the book of Ephesians and go chapter by chapter for you. And, and, and through that, we're going to discover who we are in Christ, that my past doesn't define me. What I do does not define me. <clears throat> guys are notorious about this, right? Two guys get together. It's like, hey, how you doing? Well, you do. Right? I, I do this. Well, you do. You know, and it, it's, it's fun because we define uh, ourselves by what we do. And many times it's a struggle that when we retire because we feel like I, I did this particular thing for so long and now it doesn't define me anymore and we kind of lose our way. Now, uh, many of you know, because I talk about this all the time, I just turned uh, 49 a couple of weeks ago. And, and at 49, okay, don't say wow, okay, I have one more year of life left, okay? But there's this midlife crisis, right? Many of you have heard about a midlife crisis. It's, it's, it's this thing of not so necessarily looking forward to what um, I'm going to do, but you necessarily, you, you kind of look back and say, what did I do? And there's this crisis uh, that goes on in our heart about who I am, what am I doing, what have I done with my life? And I believe that for a follower of Jesus Christ, we can overcome all that stuff. That that stuff doesn't define us who we are, what we do. Our kids don't define us whether or not they turned out successful or not. None of those things define us. How, how many know we need to change who we are in Christ? We need, to, we need to redefine our identity in Jesus Christ. How many of you know what a selfie is? Raise your hand if you know what a selfie is. How many of you are like, really, you don't know? Re- Be honest with me this morning. You really don't know what a selfie is. Raise your hand. Okay, good, good. Carl, you're the only one, Carl. So that's good. So we're going to teach everybody. We're going to show Carl. Don't mean to embarrass you, Carl. We're going to show Carl what a selfie is. Now, if you've got a phone, I'm going to take one right now. What a selfie is, it's a self-portrait. So what, on my phone, I have a Samsung. I'm getting ready to get a brand new one. I'm so excited because this one's a piece of junk now because I've only had it two years. Okay, you ready? So what a selfie is, I'm going to take a selfie with all of you. I'm going to do it this way. Okay, you guys ready? Let's, let me get a good angle here. I've got to get my face in there. Okay, that's not working. That's better. Okay, you guys ready? On the count of three, everybody say cheese. One, two, three, cheese. Okay, totally ignored you guys over there, but let me get you guys over here, okay? Okay, you guys ready? One, two, three, say cheese. Cheese. All right, if you follow me on Instagram, I will post that on Instagram, and you can see, actually, I could do that right now if I want to, but we don't have time, and I'm very illiterate when it comes to that stuff, so it would probably take us 20 minutes for me to post it on Instagram. But anyways, um, a selfie is a self Portrait. Now, it's interesting about a selfie that 
Um, by the end of 2012, Time Magazine considered this to be the top 10 buzzword of the year. Um, a survey was done by Samsung, which I have, by the way, anti-Apple. I have a Samsung. Samsung found that 30% of all photos taken by 18 to 24-year-olds were selfies, what we just did there. So now Carl knows, so he's up to date on all the latest fads, okay? Now, the word is now on the online version of the Oxford English Dictionary. And in 2013, they announced this to be the word of the year. So now we live in this world of selfies. At any moment, we can, through social media, tell the world what we're doing, uh, what we like, what we dislike. We can talk about our kids in just a moment. We can post this. If I had two seconds, I could have posted this selfie on my Instagram page or on my Facebook page, and all my people that I'm friends with or followers could see that in an instant of what's going on uh, in my life and, and in my world in that moment. Now, I can remember... When I was a senior in high school, our English teacher had this um, little thing we did in class, and basically he said, "I want you to finish the sentence and finish the sentence, and then I want um, us in the class to try to find out who that person is." And so we had to finish the sentence, "I am blank," and you had to fill in the blank, and then we filled out these little three by five cards. The teacher took them, and then we were going to try to figure out who that person was. Uh, in the class. So, you know, uh, and so we were to guess that in front of the whole class who that person was. Most people did not take it seriously. The teacher couldn't read half of them because they were obscenities. So, but anyways, the kids that actually did it, I put, I, my response was, I am a Christian. So I, re, I remember the English teacher got to me and he says, okay, and he reads it and he goes, I am a Christian. And I remember the exact thing he said. He goes, I wonder who wrote that, Barden. So, because obviously I think I was the only one in the class at that time that actually was a follower of Christ. But the question I want to ask you this morning is, how would you finish that sentence? How do you see yourself? Do, do you see yourself through the lens of what you do? Do you see yourself through the lens of what other people see you? Do you see yourself through the lens of what Christ sees you? You see, when we take a picture of ourselves, we want people to see us in the best possible light. How many of you remember the day of 35-millimeter film? Right? Um, you didn't have the option of looking at the picture right away. We were, we were stuck with what we got. And remember going through the pictures that you developed, and you're like, oh, man, that was terrible, that was terrible, that was terrible, right? But you still had to, you still had to buy it. And, uh, and remember the day when you actually you, you, know, you went and you picked up the photos, and you were so excited to open up the photos to see what the pictures were because you were remembering it? Remember those days? Those of you that are old like me, remember those? And you look and you're like, wow, this is great. I remember that. And, but, but now it's like it's, it's in, instantaneous. We can take those pictures. We can look at them. Not only can we do that, now we can take it. We can crop it. We can filter it. We can Photoshop it. We can send it to Instagram or Facebook for all everyone to see. And we can, we can send the world this picture of what we want the world to see. Not, not maybe necessarily what they're really seeing, but what we want the world to see. And so whether we're a follower of Christ or not, I, I think there is an identity crisis that we all go through. And there's something missing, and, and I'm not even going to point at the world, let me point at the church today. We're missing something in our walk with Christ. I believe that it is this identity crisis. And that's why I want to go through the book of Ephesians, because what Paul does through this book is he really 
um, leans into the point of who we are in Christ. Here's what I want you to do for your homework. I just want you to continue to read through the, during this next four or five weeks, I want you to continually read through the book of Ephesians on your own. Just read through it. Start chapter one. It's, it's not long to read through it. Just read through it on your own so that when you come to church next week and the week after, you'll really be prepared on what um, we're going to be talking about because I really want you to digest uh, this, this book because it's just a wonderful book. And so what the Apostle Paul does, this is one of his letters that he writes to the followers of Christ in Ephesus, which is located in uh, modern-day Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. Um, it was At that time, it was a very bustling city of 250,000 strong. What's interesting about this letter that he writes to the Christians in Ephesus is that it was a very immoral city. These people were living in a very immoral culture. Um, it, not anything different than what we're seeing today. Um, the temple Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world that was located there. <clears throat> Immorality was prevalent in the city. Christians living there were surrounded by pagan worship. The temple of Artemis was basically a prostitution center, and the city was steeped in the occult magic and witchcraft. <clears throat> so we see this terrible immorality that surrounded these believers that they're faced with in their daily living. But Paul, for some reason, had no specific reason or problem with the church. Now you think, well, there's got to be problems in the church living in this very immoral society. Not really. This church was actually doing very well. And Paul had no specific reasons or problem for the church in writing his letter. This letter actually was one of exhortation. It, 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 it's a letter that tells us who we are in Christ. It's a, it's a book in how we can walk in unity and, and how our identity in Christ changes the way not only we look at ourselves, but the way we look at the world that we're living in now. And so for you and I, if we don't get a correct understanding of who we are in Christ, it's going to be very difficult to live in the world that we live in today. We're going to struggle. If I, if I don't have a solid foundation of my identity in Christ and who I am and what Christ has done for me, I'm going to struggle with the world I'm living in today and what I see and all the changes and, and all the things that we see around us that we dislike or come against our Christian values. We're going to struggle if we don't know who we are in Christ. And when we understand who we are in Christ, it helps us to deal with the world in a completely different way. That Christ transforms me and changes me, not, not, not to take me and remove me from this world, but to actually take me and put me in this world to be salt and light. Amen? Amen? To actually transform the world around me. So Paul's saying, listen, let your identity in Christ change you, transform you, and then let it change the way you live. Let it change the people that you come in contact with. Let, let what Christ has done for you change the way that you look at the world. Not See, the problem is I, I, I want to insulate my kids, but I don't want to isolate them. I want to I insulate them with their walk with Christ and who they are in Christ and give them a, a proper Christian worldview. But that doesn't mean that we just completely alienate ourselves from the world and what's going on. And then, we not, then we're not doing what Christ has ultimately called us to do. And that's to go into all the world and spread his wonderful gospel message. <clears throat> so what I want to look at here is I want to look at um, what Christ tells us 
to do and how, who we are in Christ. So we're going to jump right in the first. If you've got your Bibles, open to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at the first, uh, verse 3 through 14. I'm going to be reading from the ESV version. And we're going to be looking at the spiritual blessings that come in Christ. I want you to look at how encouraging Paul opens this letter. It's amazing. He's very excited about this church. He's very encouraged about how they're growing in the Lord. And just look at who we are in Christ. Look at how he elevates Christ. It's not about the Ephesian believers necessarily. It's about what Christ has done in them. So here he starts in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God, our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Amen. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he's predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Look at verse 7. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us and all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mysteries of his will according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And the church said, amen. There's some great encouraging words there. So before we dive into this, let, let, let's, let's define why we're in this crisis. Why, we're, why are we in this identity crisis today? I, I heard some statistics that give some, some pretty sobering insight, insights to where our country is today. I was listening to a podcast of Ravi Zacharias, and he quoted from a book called The Day America Told the Truth. And basically the book is about what people really believe. Not, not maybe some of the statistics we get from the government. This is actually what people really believe. And as they did this survey of, of, I don't know how many people, they really got what's really being done, what, what's the truth uh, in America and, and, and kind of uncovering uh, this. Um, they came up with 23 major conclusions of what we see in our country today. And some are pretty crude, so I'm not going to read all of it, but I, I want to give you just kind of a synopsis of what they came up with because um, it's pretty interesting. Some things in the book are pretty graphic, but... But the conclusion of the research, they came up with this. They said this. This is sobering. Very sobering because, um, you know, this is secular research. Uh, and, and they're just basically saying this is, this is the picture we're getting of America today. It says this. At this time, America has no moral leaders. And that, and that the leaders that we have turned to have failed us. This is what people are saying. This is what they're saying. The truth of it. Uh, they're saying that we're making up our own moral codes. And at this time in America, there is no moral common ground like there was in the 1950s. Young American males, they say, are our biggest national tragedy. The age demographic between 18 and 25 
are all connected in this range. The majority are connected to violence, crime, and abuse. The official crime statistics are off by more than 600%. Lying has become an integral part of the American culture. One in six have been abused. U.S. is one of the most violent industrial nations on the planet. They said that we have lost our faith in the institution of marriage. They said that the number one reason why businesses decline is a direct result of low moral business standards of business executives. I noticed this when I was visiting this college my son's going to in the fall, his senior year. He has to actually take a class on ethics in the workplace. I think every college needs to have a class on ethics in the workplace. I think that's a good idea. Can I get an amen? That's a good idea. Uh, lastly, this is what they summarized everything with. Lastly, they said, they said, a letdown, a letdown in moral values is considered the number one problem in the United States. So to understand our identity problem, we have to get to the root. And so what these statistics show us, that there's something going on under the surface. There is something intrinsically wrong with our thinking, our mindset, and why we're slowly ebbing off into this moral decay. What is, is, is going on? Well, here, here's how we have to understand. If we're going to have a correct understanding of our world, I can point the finger at, at the world and say, oh, they're just a bunch of sinners and Look at where our world is going and just throw our hands up and say, I just can't take it anymore, right? But here, if we're going to have a correct Christian worldview, we have to understand why this is happening. This is no, listen to me. This is no different from the culture that Paul was faced with as he wrote the Ephesian believers. Now, Paul, listen. Paul could have easily pointed the finger at the immorality in the, to the Ephesians. He could have started his letter off that way. Say, oh my goodness, look at the culture you're living in. Oh, Artemis and the prostitution, blah, blah. He didn't do that. How did he start his letter? By telling who we were in Christ. Because if that doesn't change first, the society's never going to change. Nothing's ever going to change. We can point the finger and say how bad everything is, but unless I'm changing and I understand who I am in Christ, nothing else will ever change. So, so how do we tackle this? Well, first, we need to understand why we're in the mess that we're in. We have to have a correct Christian worldview, and it all starts with the first humans of Adam and Eve. And understand something. They had fulfillment, enjoyment in the garden. They had one stipulation they were not to eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And the enemy created the enemy, the devil himself, Satan himself, the enemy created the first identity crisis by tempting Adam and Eve and basically saying this, are you sure that's what God wants? Won't your eyes actually be opened if you partake of this tree? See, this is exactly what happened. Their eyes were open to the devastating results of sin. So here's the lie and why we are in the mess we are today and why the book that I just quoted from is so alarming. So the lie is this. We will be like God if we base it on something else other than him. Satan said, if you do this, your eyes will be open. Adam and Eve fell for it hook, line, and sinker 
I need something else in order to make me complete. So what happens is sin enters the world. We're all a product of Adam, Adam and Eve's wrong choices. Now, so basically, we can blame Adam and Eve for all our identity crisis that we're faced with today. See, here's what happens. Because of sin, we are constantly trying to find ourselves, and we're never satisfied. That question always comes up. Is really all that there is, God? Isn't there more? God says, you can have everything you want. I've got it all for you. Just do not partake of this tree. That's it. Everything else. You can enjoy fulfillment, happiness, your marriage, everything else. But the question came in is this identity crisis. Is that all there is? Is there something more that can make my life better? And that's the lie that they bought. That's the lie that we buy today. So here's, here's, here's what we, we think many times. Here's the wrong train of thinking. Uh, we say things like this to ourselves. We say, I'll never measure up, which is the performance trap. Uh, we're taught to succeed at all costs, and thus uh, we never want to disappoint anyone. We can say things like, God doesn't really care about me. Why? Because I'm a worthless person and unlovable. Um, I've been a failure, and I always will be. Um, if people really knew my life, they wouldn't like me. I'm damaged goods. I've made too many mistakes in my life. You see, here's the problem. The answer cannot be found in ourselves. Uh, The understanding of our uniqueness is what the world tries to tell us. You're unique. You're special. You're a snowflake. Some of you are a flake, but not necessarily a snowflake, right? Some of us are all flakes, but maybe not necessarily a snowflake. And, And we're taught this, that the answer is found within ourselves and ourselves. But the problem is within ourselves, it's, it's intrinsically flawed. The starting place is, is, is flawed because of the sin of Adam and Eve. So if I start with myself, I'm starting with the wrong premise. If I'm looking into myself to try to find fulfillment, are we ever going to really find it? No. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to deal with that identity crisis, the problem of our lives because of what sin has done. And that's why Paul at the beginning of this letter, stresses who we are in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. So the answer is not necessarily this. This is what we're told. You need to become a better person. You need to do more good than bad. The answer for your identity and your security is not found in necessarily becoming healthier, even though that's not a bad thing. The answer for your identity is not finding the right person to complete you. So here's the problem. When I look to myself to find my worth, I will fall short for this reason. We look to worldly things to make me feel good about myself. I'll be the best at my sport, my hobby. I'll get all A's, but the problem is it never ends. So we look to our marriage, our children, our jobs for security and happiness, yet it's never complete all in a failed effort to feel better about ourselves. So we try to find this answer in our worth. Maybe it will come from a self-help book. Maybe it will come from hugging myself or looking in the mirror, trying to convince myself that I'm good and I'm special. But let's go back to what Paul says. Let's dig into the scripture because here we see five times we see Paul uses the word in him. Just in this first chapter. In fact, in the whole book of Ephesians, he's going to use this term in him 36 times. We have to be found in Christ. What does that that mean? Well, here's, here's what it means to be in Christ. To find your security 
in him. Not to find your security in the things of this world or, or in your job or in your family or in your kids. To truly find your identity in Christ. Listen to what he says. And what I, do, what I want to zero in on is just verse 7 and 8. Let me zero in on this because this is what Paul says. He says, in him... We have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. So what, what Paul is saying here is God through his son takes care of our sin issue for us, which is the cause of our identity problem. And so what Paul uses here is a big word called redemption. And so let me break let me break this word down, redemption, for you. Because, because in Christ, we are redeemed. We have to understand this. In order to be redeemed, we have to be bought back from something. Something else owned us. And so in order to be redeemed, there has to be a price paid for that. <coughs> and we have to be bought from that thing. And so he says, in Christ, we are redeemed. The image actually goes back to the Old Testament. When God delivered the Israelites from Egyptian bondage, God's wrath was poured out on the firstborn sons. The only ones to be spared were the homes that had sacrificed a healthy lamb without blemish. And this lamb would become their substitute. And they were to place the, the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their homes. As a result, God's judgment did not come to their home. Literally, the wrath of God passed over them. And God's people <coughs> were redeemed and set free from Egyptian bondage. This is a crystal clear picture of what Jesus, the Lamb of God, did for you and I. To redeem us from ourselves, from our sins, from the sin of bondage. This was, a, uh, this was an image of Jesus who was our lamb who took away the sins to set us free. So what Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, in Christ you are redeemed. Whatever that thing that has enslaved you, in Christ you are redeemed. That thing does not own you anymore. We, listen, we have to get this right. Because I, I, I speak to so many followers of Christ that just aren't happy. They don't feel satisfied. Um, they, attach, their attachment is to their past. Their attachment is, is to, their, to, to things that they've done or their achievements. And when those things don't work out, um, there's this unfulfillment in their heart. There, there's this lack of zeal for who... They are in Christ and a lack of understanding of what Christ has done for them. So what this means is this. See, in Christ we're redeemed. Whatever that thing that has enslaved you, and I don't care who you are, myself included, every single one of us has some area of vulnerability that we are not happy with, that we struggle with. Every single one of us. Whether it's trying to be a people pleaser or it's trying to raise the perfect kids, or it's trying to have a certain image, or it's trying to be successful at your job. None of those things are wrong within themselves, but if it, here's the thing. When those things collapse in your life, it's going to reveal really what you're trusting. Right? You see, um, I can be real proud of my kids when they're doing really well, right? Say, ah. Those are my kids. 
And then when they're doing really bad, I say they're Kathleen's kids, right? We just shift the blame, right? We, 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 we could, because here's the problem. When they're doing, you parents, you know what I'm talking about. When they're doing really well, we want to take the credit. Like, you know, people go, wow, you, you know, every time you come to you say, well, you did a real good job raising your kids, right? You did a really good job, right? And you're like, ah, oh, yeah, you want to take the credit. And all of a sudden they do some knuckle brain thing. And you're like, oh boy, God humbles us again, right? And, and, and those are all identity issues. Either I'm vicariously living, living through my kids or my job or whatever that, or my marriage or whatever those things are. Christ has come to set us free from those things. So whatever those things are that enslave you, Christ has set us free. It could be drugs, um, immorality, pornography, alcohol, gambling, fear, insecurities, loneliness, pride, unforgiveness, abuse. Christ has come to forgive us and redeem us from those things that have held us captive. He no longer wants it to, to, to be a burden on your life. So let me, let, me just, let me just put a bow on this whole thing and put some potpourri on it, make it smell really good. Okay, so let, let me land this message for you, okay? Listen. Whatever it is, when you are in Christ, you are forgiven. Whatever that thing is, when you are in Christ, you are set free from that thing. And so how, how is this possible? It's possible because it's all done through God's grace. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. We didn't work for it. We don't pay for it. God gives it freely out of his love, out of his grace that he paid for us by his perfect son. You see, I want you to understand this morning that, that Christ did everything on our behalf when we humble ourselves by faith and receive it as a gift. And then we'll say, you know, I could never pay you back, God, for what he did, but for what he's done for us. But in response, we give our lives to God and worship to him with our lives. Some of you here, you've, you've lived... Your past is, is really cruddy. That's all I can say for some of you here. You can say, Pastor, my past is really littered with either bad choices that you've made, maybe just abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, whatever it may be. Some of, you, some of your past may be really littered with some really difficult stuff. And your mind seems to drift back to that because your identity seems to be placed in like, maybe I deserved it or maybe, why did I go through that? Am I... You know, am I really worthy? Does God really love me? Does God really care about me? Here's what I want you to realize. The answer is found in knowing the one who created us. You see, what, what makes something worthy? What makes something worthy? What makes something worthy is what someone's offering to pay for it. Right? If you've got a really rare collectible comic book that somebody doesn't have to fulfill their collection, they're going to want that. And they're going to pay a lot for those comic books. I love watching those different shows that show the value of an item that people are willing to pay for. What makes it worth is what, what something, you, you could look at this thing and you think, this thing is a piece of junk. 
I mean, if you ever watch American Pickers, they're going in the, 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 the dirt and they're pulling out these bikes from the 1900s, early 1900s, and they're all rusty and they're paying $1,500 for a piece of rust. And I would look at it and say, that thing is a worthless piece of junk. But to them, they know, listen, they know the worth of it. And they know that they can take that rusty piece of what we think is a junk and they can redeem it and they can restore it and they can make it into a very valuable bike that a collector they know is going to buy it. Your life, listen to me, your life is not based on your job performance. Your life is not based on your last review. Your life is not based on whether or not your marriage was successful or not. Your life is not based on uh, whether or not someone called you stupid when you were young or you were abused. That's not what makes your worth. What makes you worthy is that Jesus paid the price for your life. He laid down everything to buy you back. That's why you're worthy. Jesus gave everything to purchase you back. He didn't base it on your past. He didn't base it on your goodness or, um, or your sins or how many things we've done right or wrong. Jesus gave his life for us as a substitute. He said, you are worthy and I am willing to give my very life. I am willing to hang naked on a cross. I am willing to have the nails thrown into my, driven into my hands and my feet, to have a, a, a thorns that were made into a crown to be thrust upon my head, to be hung on a cross, to die for you. I'm willing to do that for you. That's how much he loves us because he knew by doing that, it would redeem us back to us. So what makes us worthy? What makes us worthy is what Christ has done for us. Every single one of us here. Some of you here today, you're, you're struggling with this worth in your life of feeling worthy. You're, you're struggling with it today. I want to encourage you today that your worth is not found in anything in this world. Your worth is found in Christ and what he did for you. Let him change you from the inside out. Let him redeem you. Let him redeem all your past, all the junk, all the garbage. Let him redeem it and then make it something beautiful that he uses for his good pleasure and for his glory. That's what I love about the body of Christ because we're all in the same boat. Doesn't matter what your background is. Doesn't matter all the mistakes you've made. Doesn't matter whether you're raised in church or not. That's what I love about the body of Christ is that in Christ, we're one. We all come to Jesus through the same avenue and that's through the cross. Every single one of us. And so for those of you that are struggling with with your identity, the way you look, trying to fit in, Let's come to Christ. Let's find our identity in him today, the one that's redeemed you. Amen. So, Lord, as we come to you this morning, as we sing, as we worship you, I pray for your body today. Lord, there may be some here today. I'm not going to be so naive as there 
there may be someone here today that even contemplated suicide this week. Lord, they're meant to be here right now. You brought them here for a reason, to tell them how much you love them and that their life was worthy for you to die for. Jesus, our lives are worthy not because there's anything intrinsically special that we've done. Our lives are worthy because you were willing to pay your life for it. And so we're so grateful for that. And so I pray for anyone here that's just struggling with their past, struggling with an addiction, struggling, Lord, just to find themselves in you. Lord, I pray that you would set them free from that. And Lord, they would be set free for whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So Lord, we thank you for all you've done for us and how you've set us free today. And we just give you the glory, God. We give you the glory for what you've done for us. And I pray, God, that you would just bring healing to every heart here today. That they would know there's a Savior that loves us, that gave his very life for us. So we thank you for your presence in this place, God. Just set us free today to find ourselves in you. Strip away anything that is of, it's not of you, God, that keeps us from knowing you in a, full, in a full way, God. So we thank you for your word. We love you and we praise you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I want us to stand. Let's sing this song. And uh, let's just worship him for who Christ is. Amen.